0: This isn't going to work out, and I'm leaving. Yeah, it was uh, it, a very emotional time.
1: It was just so hard to accept the fact that my wife was dying. feel like a
2: complete failure, okay. that I couldn't keep my marriage together.
1: And I did ask him, you know, what is the chances? And he said she'd be the first one ever to beat this
3: type of cancer. I guess I'm really uh, looking at it as an opportunity.
0: But but I do know that with God in our life, that has made all the difference in the world. Things started getting a lot easier with God's help.
1: It was just amazing. It was was incredible.
0: But if you can look at it and say, okay, I'm not going to know some things tomorrow, but let's enjoy today.
1: Knowing that God is there for me and me accepting God in my life, I wouldn't be here today.
3: Well, today we are in our third weekend of this series called How to Get Through What You're Going Through. And just before we watch the next video, we've been watching a video every weekend of someone in our church family sharing what they're going through. Um, Let's just recap where we've traveled so far in the series. On the first week, we um, looked at um, the story of Naomi and Ruth, and we learned three important truths about going through tough times. Loss is unavoidable. But grieving is a choice, which is such a critical step in dealing with loss. And the other truth was God is determined to walk with you through that loss. Last week, we looked at the story of King David. And in his adultery and murder, he ended up losing his child. And we saw here him take six steps to a path of peace from pain to peace. And I'm not going to say all six steps. You'll have to look at the message. It's on YouTube. But um, let me just highlight a couple of those steps, which I thought were so important. We have to be willing to accept what I cannot change. That is such a critical step in moving from pain to peace. And another one is keep on loving in the midst of pain. In other words, you can keep mourning and moving, though, at the same time. You can move and mourn at the same time. Now again, in this series called Getting Through What You're Going Through, um, we want to give credit to Rick and Kay Warren from Saddleback Church for the inspiration of the series and for some insights as well. As I've mentioned before, this is the first series that they preached um, after the suicide of their son. Now in our church family, we have several people going through times of loss. Um, and before we get into the message today, let's begin by listening to the story of Jean and Helen McDonald, and hear what they're going through. Well,
2: I'd like to welcome you both, um, uh, Jean and Helen, for coming today. Um, as we are going through this message series called "You Know How to Get Through What You're Going Through," and so I'm just going to ask you right now if you would mind sharing um, what it is that you're now. What are you going through?
1: About uh, five years ago, mm-hmm. Helen thought I was uh, sort of missing words and thoughts and that sort of thing. Slowing down my speech, unable to complete a sentence sometimes. So uh, she said t- to me that I should be going and seeing the doctor. Last fall, the our doctor here in Moncton, Uh, confirmed that I was in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. I can tell that I'm into the first part of it right now because uh, I sometimes can't finish sentences.
2: Thank you thank you so much Jean. Now um, Helen can you share with us you know you got that diagnosis in the fall Mm -hmm. so tell me you know how did you respond? What were your early thoughts at that time that now it was
0: actually being declared? Yeah, it was uh, a very emotional time uh, because having seen his dad with it, uh, you kind of know the stages. And my fear was that I would not have the love and patience that you need. And I'm struggling with that right now. At times I want to get aggravated, and I shouldn't because he can't help it. And so my prayer is, Lord, give me the love and patience that I need. That's been my prayer. But that's been the hard part, is knowing what's coming, and uh, I don't always understand why he isn't doing something a certain way. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. so that's been, you know, a struggle there. But, but I do know that with God in our life, that has made all the difference in the world. What
2: do you find is a struggle now as you go through your days? What would you say a daily struggle might be?
1: Uh, my constant prayer is that the Lord will keep me sweet, um, right. because I saw how my mom was affected.
2: Yeah. So, how has having a church family made a difference? Has you know, how has having that? Um,
0: having I think that just knowing that people are there and they care and they're praying means everything. I mean, people who don't know the Lord and don't go to church, you kind of think, what do they do? There's nobody there. They don't, don't have the Lord to pray to, but they don't also have friends and a church that's there for them. That means everything, it really does. Church is very, very important, you know.
2: What challenges are you facing now as you move forward through this diagnosis through this disease?
1: I think as we watched mom and dad, uh, this was one of the very, very hard things for mom. She didn't know how to respond. And um, and it was yeah. it was very difficult. And they were, they not only were advised to keep it quiet. Right. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to say anything about it.
2: Um, um, and for you, Helen, what challenges um, are you facing now?
0: I'm one that likes to plan ahead. This is what we're going to do, and I can't. And I that's where I pray for love and patience because. I do need patience to depend upon the Lord and not try to get ahead of Him. And that's my biggest challenge right now is not wanting to kind of control our lives. It's sort of part of this as a song, I guess, but it's, we do thank God for the mountains and we thank Him for the valleys. We thank Him for the storms He's bringing us through. For if we never had a problem, we wouldn't know that He could solve them. We would never know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, we've learned to trust in Jesus. We've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, we've learned to depend upon His Word. He is our rock to lean on every day, and we he will look after our tomorrows. And I guess one of the verses that has meant a lot to us over the years is Psalm forty-six, ten: Be still and know that I'm God. And God, in a way, touches me every day. And just, just remember, Helen, be still and know that I'm God. And I'm there looking after both of you.
3: Boy, it doesn't get more real than that, does it? Um, You know, this series is one that is helping us to honestly face those tough times in our life. That if we're honest, I think we wish we could just get over those tough times. And what we're learning in this series is that God is not going to say, I'm going to help you get over something. He's just going to help you get through something. And again, I, I look at the spectrum of ages here today um, in this evening service, and I think to myself, you know, some of you, I know you have gone through some stuff already, or you're going through it. And for others of you, maybe life's right now just pretty good. It's like in those mo- one of those moments where you go, okay, I just don't want anything to change right now. But we all know it's going to change. And again, if you maybe are saying, you know, I don't really see this applying to me right now, Take notes. Uh, you know, keep your YouTube active, because you're going to have to come back and revisit this at some point. Um, You know, I I often ask myself this, and I think others ask themselves this as well. God, why is it at times, it feels like the saying, it never rains, but it pours? You ever had those moments, like it was pouring rain today. And I, I got thinking about sometimes when life just starts hitting you with stuff. And it's not just one thing. It's one thing on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. And you're saying, Lord, um, you know, why are you allowing this? Especially for those of us who say we want to live by faith. We want to trust you. We want your blessing. We want your peace. So why are you allowing us to experience troubles and trials? Um, and I think if we're going to answer that question, we have to begin with a really basic biblical principle that we learn from the scriptures that sir, sort of will set up our story tonight that we're going to look at in the old Testament. And, and here's what we need to see. It's throughout scriptures, this basic biblical principle, God's number one goal in your life and mine is that you and I become like Jesus Christ. You and I were created to become like Christ. God wants to make you like his son. And you say, well, where'd you get that idea, Dave? Well, it's right in the Bible. Um, Romans 8.29, for example, says this. From the very beginning, it has been God's plan that we become like his son. The Bible also says in Ephesians 4.15, God wants us to grow up and become like Christ. When God decided to make the first human being. This is what he said. Let us make man in our image. This has always been God's plan. God wants to make us like himself. Now, please do not misunderstand me. You will never be a God. You will never be like a little God. But God wants you to become like him. God, in fact, wants to change all of us from the inside out. Just like that worship song that was led here by... Becca and Amy. We're, and what does it mean to change from the inside out? The Bible says from the inside out, we're supposed to take on the character of Christ. We're to become like Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible calls that the fruit of the Spirit. And, and when we say, well, what's the fruit of the Spirit? That's a Bible phrase. Well, It's it's these qualities. The Bible says that when you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And in fact, as these begin to emerge in your life, because you have the presence of God in your life through your faith in Christ, you are now becoming like Jesus. You are becoming like God's Son. Now... Now here's the thing. If you're with me so far that if one of God's primary goals in your life and mine is that we become like Christ as Christians, then how does that happen? How does that Christ-like character get formed in you and me? Well, here's again what the Bible teaches us in a general sweeping sort of way. First of all, God uses his Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. Um when the Spirit of God gets inside of us, it produces love and joy and peace. And the more we surrender and keep in step with God's Spirit and allow Him to take control, we become more like Jesus. That's, that's one way we become more like Christ. Another way we become more like Christ is when we listen to His Word, the Word of God. Um, it says in John 17, 17, um, Jesus says this. He says, sanctify them. Or make them more holy through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, a third way God uses to make me more like Jesus is, guess what? Other people like you and you and you and you and you and you and you. You all help me to become more like Jesus. Because Jesus says, Dave, I want you to be more patient. So I'm going to put some people in your life that are going to try your patience. Dave, I'm going to make you more kind. So, Dave, I'm going to put some people in your life that's going to test your kindness. Okay? And I just want to say thank you for being in my life. Okay? <laughs> because you're helping me become more like Jesus. Now, all kidding aside, we need each other too. what? To pray for one another, encourage one another, just what Gene and Helen said. We have to walk with one another, too. Um, but God uses other people. But now stay with me. Remember, if God's goal is for us to become like Jesus and he uses all these means for to help us become like him, guess what? There's one fourth way that's very clear in the scriptures that God uses to become, help us become like Christ. And this is this way. It is through problems, pressures, pains, suffering, stresses, and turmoil God uses that means to help us to become like Jesus. And in fact, some theologians would argue that is the main way he uses. It is through suffering that we actually become most like Jesus. Oh, you go, oh, no, I don't want to suffer. Well, guess what? This is what the Bible teaches us. In fact, listen to this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are pressed on every side by trouble, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed on every side, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again. And then later on, as he's writing about all these troubles, he says, through suffering these bodies of ours, we share the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in us. We're starting again to become more like Jesus. So our problems, our pains, and our pressures then, according to God's economy, have a purpose. God in his will sees that we are used, that they are used, these problems are used to make us like Jesus. God in his grand design causes all things to work together for good. Now stay with me, what's the good? The good is that we become more like Jesus, more like him. And, and, and when Jesus' life starts to enter us, we get transformed through our troubles so that we become more like Christ. Now, now that's the big idea, okay? You can say, how do troubles work in my faith? God works those troubles uh, through our lives for our good. The, he, now, remember, God's not saying those troubles are good. He's just saying he'll take the troubles and turn them into our good so we become more like, more like Christ. Now, today I want us to look at a story about one man in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, where God meets him in the midst of his troubles and he too was changed. And that is about a man called Jacob. Now, in just a moment, we're going to read from God's Word um, this story. So if you have your smart devices, please, I hope you can go on the you version, look up the live event, and all uh, the scriptures are there. If you have your Bible, please follow along in just a moment. It's in Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 22. Or you can just pick up one of those outlines, and the scripture's right there on the inside of the program. And we're going to read that in just one moment. But let me just set up the context so you don't misunderstand this story. It's, a, it's, it's sort of like the climax to a whole bunch of stuff going on for a number of chapters here in, in the life of Jacob. Um, Jacob... Um, is a man who is living up to his name. The, um, it's, the name Jacob actually means deceiver or heel grabber, but it means to be a deceptive person. So, so uh, now not to knock that Jacob became to mean a good name, but actually the root meaning of Jacob means to deceive. And actually Jacob really lived up to his name. It really revealed his character because he was a deceiver. Um, even though God had said when he was born with his twin brother, but his, his brother, twin brother had been born before him, God said the younger will rule over the older. God had said that, that the, that the uh, blessing of what God wanted to do was going to happen to Jacob through his life and through his lineage. But, but Jacob, along with his mother, Rebecca, decided to take things in their own hands. Um, They stole the birthright, the inheritance, so to speak, um, in the family. And because of that, a whole lot of bad things started to happen. Um, The results were painful. I mean, just imagine if in your family, your sister steals the inheritance from the other sister. You know, swindles. The brother steals from a brother. Just imagine what it does to the family. Well, it doesn't... uh, Take too much imagination to realize this. As you read the rest of the story of Jacob at that point, once he did that stealing um, and that deception, he would never see his mother again. He had to flee for his life. His brother Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And he wanted to hunt him down. Um, Esau actually eventually ended up becoming the founder of an enemy state um, against Jacob's line and his family. Uh, Jacob, actually, too, even though he was a deceiver, if you read his story, he ended up being deceived by his father-in-law. And his father-in-law tricked him into marrying one sister. He wanted to marry the other sister. And he ended up having to marry both sisters in that time period. So he was married to two sisters. Just think about that. He was also exiled from his family for years because of his deception. And so here he is, his life's a mess, and he's going through a lot of pain and trouble. And, you know, as we look at this story, you know, we have to see that sometimes what we're going through is no fault of our own. Like we just listened to Gene and Helen's story. Um, this is no fault of, 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 of them. They just got hit here with this diagnosis of Alzheimer's. But if we're also honest, a lot of times in life, we are the author of our own troubles. We have made choices. We have made choices that we said, I'm going to live my life my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. And we strive and we manipulate and we deceive. And guess what? We reap a lot of trouble and we end up going through a lot of very difficult things. And this would be Jacob's case, okay? This would be Jacob's case. And so here's Jacob. At this point, he is... Uh, deciding he wants to go back home. And so he's bringing his two wives and his children and all of his, all of his earnings that he has created, his flocks, his servants and everything, and they're headed back home. And he, they come to a river called Jebbuk. And um, he realizes, he gets the news that Esau, his brother, is coming to meet him, and he's gotten news that 400 men are coming with Esau. Now, remember, last time he left Esau, Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And he wasn't, that wasn't a rhetorical state. Like, he really meant it. And so here's Jacob going, I'm at the end of my rope. I try to maneuver. I try to manipulate. I've got nowhere to turn to. And here, let's come into the story now. So starting in verse 22. During the night... Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. And this left Jacob all alone in the camp. He's all by himself now. And you know, a lot of times when we make troublesome choices in our life, we come to that place where we're all by ourselves. And listen to this. A man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when that man saw he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. And again, Jacob knew what he was confessing at that moment. He's saying, yeah, I'm a deceiver. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, And he was limping because of the injury to his hip. And even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. So this fighting with the man was actually the very presence of God that night. Jacob wrestled with God and walked away with a limp. But he also walked away with a new name. You know, as we look at this story, what do we learn from Jacob's encounter with God as he's going through troubles of his own? Um, Well, here's three things really quick. First of all, what we learn is that God um, meets us. Um, You know, notice in verse 24, it says, you know, this left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. You know, Jacob, who's wrestling with this man, which again, we're saying was the very, very presence of God, um, sums up all Jacob's life. He had struggled with his father. He had struggled with his brother. He had struggled with his father-in-law. And now he's struggling with God himself. You know, some people say actually that what this story shows us is this, that often when we're struggling in all these other areas of our life, ultimately, it's a revelation that we're actually struggling against God in God's way. You know, Jacob's wrestling happened in the midst of the trouble he was trying to navigate. All that Jacob had on his mind at this time was, how am I going to appease my brother? How will I get out of this one? And in the midst of this turmoil, God meets him. Now understand this, God takes the initiative in the midst of Jacob's self-inflicted troubles. You know, actually, God had already met Jacob once before, if you read back further in this story, because actually while Jacob was on the run from his brother, you can read in Genesis 28 where Jacob was sleeping on the desert ground with a rock as a pillow, and God meets him there on the run away from his brother. And now God meets him again as he's coming back to meet his brother again. At times, I think, when Jacob was feeling most afraid and most vulnerable. You know, I wonder, do we expect that God wants anything to do with us when we find ourselves stuck in the muck and mire of our own poor choices? Or do we think that he writes us off and says, Well, I'm out of here. Good luck. You know, I think that we can learn a lot from this story. I think this story gives us tremendous hope as we struggle with our own troubles and live with the consequences of our own making. Even in the midst of the messes that we make in our lives, God has taken the initiative through Christ and enters into our struggles. We're not left alone. You know, God sees our hopelessness and offers us his very presence. You know, even in the midst of our poor choices, our wrong choices, our rebellious choices, Jesus offers us the grace that dissolves the guilt and the shame. You know, a verse that we often reference, but it's a great verse that shows us that God takes the initiative But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still dead in our sin, God makes the initiative. You know, God, I can't help but how he always would take the initiative throughout all the Bible. Here he reaches out to Jacob. Later on, if you read about the story of Moses, Moses is just tanning the sheep and God, in the form of a burning bush, calls out to Moses, Moses, Moses. I think about even in the Gospels, Jesus, as he's going through town, there's this little man who's a thief. He's a tax collector. His name's Zacchaeus. And everyone else is ignoring Zacchaeus, but Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. And I think about about after Peter had denied Christ and Christ now had resurrected and Peter's just back fishing, realizing I'm a loser. I said I was never going to forsake Jesus, and I did. And guess who shows up on the shore, and says, "Peter, do you love me?" God always is taking the initiative. You know, when you come to a service, and this is just one place, this can be your peniel right here. This can be a place where you can meet God. Do you hear Him calling? You know, another thing this story about Jacob, though, shows us, though, when we're in the midst of our troubles, is not only does does God meet us, but also God changes us. I love this. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. You know, it's interesting that as Jacob was about to face one of his biggest troublesome events in his life, he encounters God who changes his name and by doing so changes his identity. See, Jacob, remember, what did we say Jacob means? It means deceiver. deceiver. That's right, a manipulator. But this encounter with God marks the beginning of a spiritual transformation in Jacob's life. God gives him a new name. Names meant something back in the Old Testament. And I know for a lot of parents today even, when they have a new baby, they want to get the right name because a name is supposed to mean something. Well, names meant something. It identified who you were. And so God is saying to Jacob, I'm giving you a new name. And in fact, this name would stand for the name of the nation Israel through which the Messiah would come. You know, when you and I are going through troubles, I can't help but think we often have identity crisis. In fact, I think we give ourselves names that we then live up to. I think about, about names that we might be calling ourselves right now because of our poor choices. I'm, I'm, you know, Lucy the Loser, um, Carl the Cheater, Andrew the Addict, Gloria the Gossip, um, Dave the Drunk, uh, you know, Abby the Abuser, Larry the Liar. You know, maybe we're giving ourselves all those names. And the truth is, because of our choices, we know maybe that is who we are. But God wants to change your name. He wants to change your destiny. And the truth is that today we can encounter God through Jesus. And when we know that we have an encounter with Jesus, he changes our name. You know, I can't help but think when, about this change that we can go through um, Paul writes about this actually in Colossians. It's a new, one of the New Testament letters. And, and listen just to just this portion of Scripture in chapter 3, verse one, starting in verse 1. And listen to the new identity that's found in it. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, then he goes on to say, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you have died to this life, and catch this, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. And because of this new life in Christ, remember what God wants to make us? He wants to make us like Christ. He wants to have, we need to have the life of Christ in us. And we have this new name in Christ. That's why we call ourselves Christians. I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, Now put to death then these sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Here's the one Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Instead, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And then finally he says in just this part of the letter, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. You know, when God changes you and he gives you that new identity, you are not what you used to be where you're just patched up a little bit better with some crazy glue. You're not what you used to be with just a little bit of change in your life. In Christ, you and I are different Everything about you is different. Therefore, you have a responsibility of thinking differently about yourself because of who you are in Christ. You know, we have to see ourselves from Jesus' point of view. Here's what he says about who we are, and and, and these are our big ideas, and maybe you're not going to be able to suck it all up, but, but let's just go for it. When Jesus looks at you and he looks at me, if you have put your life in Christ, this is what he sees. We have been saved. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. We've been freed from sin. We've been freed from the penalty of eternal death and hell, and one day we'll be glorified with God, with the very glory of God resting upon us. Now that is what it means to have a new identity when God changes us in Christ. That is what we have. So now the goal is to live in this new identity, to think differently and to act differently. And lastly, though, we see in this story, Jacob, when we're in the midst of our troubles, not only does God meet us and not only does God change us, but God also humbles us. Notice here that that in this encounter, as Jacob wrestled with God, Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. He was limping because of the injury to his hip. You know, Jacob leaves Peniel, but he leaves with a limp. And the limp was supposed to be a constant reminder that he had encountered God. You know, one... Theologian has said this, God's sovereignty and faithfulness to his promise, despite all human unworthiness, is demonstrated in this story. Jacob is no longer the controller who's managing life on his own, manipulating life, trying to get ahead, trying to make choices, both good and bad. No, rather now he is Israel who's totally dependent on God's grace as he limps forward. You know, you can't come away from encountering God without bearing that mark of that encounter. I'm totally convinced of that. If you meet God, you're going to bear a mark of that encounter. It's going to change you forever. You'll never be the same again. You know, Jacob knew the blessing that he wanted so desperately from God. God graciously gave to him finally. And Jacob learned in that encounter, as he limped away, he realized something. He says, God is God and I am not. You know, God marked Jacob with a limp. He marked him with humility. And we have to always understand that if we want to be holy and pure, it is always going to be marked with humility. I don't ever want to trust someone who doesn't walk with a limp. I really don't. You know, and we see here that that today we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean for us to walk with a limp, so to speak? What does it mean for us to walk humbly before God? You know, as as we looked at Jacob, Jacob wrestled with God and was changed. And the troubles of Jacob provide the place where God encountered Jacob. Now let me ask you this. Are you wrestling with God in your life right now? Are you wrestling with him? Do you have doubts? Do you have questions? Are you going through pain? Are you wrestling with the choices that you say, this is where my life is right now. Is this where I believe God wants me to be? Am I head in the direction God wants me to go? You know, often when we are the author of our own troubles, it is actually, again, like I said earlier, we're striving against God instead of trusting His way. And when we get humbled, we finally see our need to depend on God. Now, let me just ask you this. What actually humbles you and me? Because I don't think we're going to get our hip sockets taken out in meeting God. So what humbles you and me? What will cause us to limp spiritually, so to speak, in a humble attitude? Can I simply just say this, that every time you really consider the work of Christ on the cross, what we call the gospel, the good news, that should humble you and me. Because every time I look at Jesus on the cross, I realize it was my sin that put him there. And it tells me that my hope to be made right with God is not on my ability to manage life well, but it's rather on God doing His work for me through Christ who gave His life for me. It's not built on my ability, but my trust in God's righteousness. The gospel makes me limp. And it makes me lean every day on God's grace and love because that's the only thing, that amazing grace that will take me home. So we come to this moment... At the end of our service, I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. And as they come up, I just want to ask you this question. We, what we've done is we've taken a, a ministry time just, just where we've been quiet and let God speak to us. So they're going to sing a song called My Hope. And while they're singing that song, I want you to be thinking about this. What are you going through right now? What choices have brought you to this point where you're saying, I can't believe what I have to go through right now. God, will I get through it? And remember, can you see that if what you're going through right now is part of those choices, that maybe it's that you're really striving against God. You're not really striving against anyone else except God. So while we listen to this song, My Hope, can I encourage you that, that you make this your Penny L time? where you're going to say, this is where I met God, that this is where God met me. This is where God changed me. And this is where God humbled me. See, God wants to meet us at our peniel, and that peniel for us as Christians is now the cross. Because when we stand before the cross, we're starting to say, that's where God, you showed us your great love and you revealed to us our great need. Now, after the song, at the very close of the service, then we're going to invite you to come and participate in the Lord's Supper, where you will be asked to receive the bread and the cup. But let's first of all listen to this song and let God meet you, change you, and humble you.
2: Change. If all the plans I make go wrong, your love stays the same. You're-